Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 36 called Allie and Joshua. Okay, so in July of 2014, I walked into Joshua Klein's doctor's office at RMA in Brooklyn, and I was pretty much in shambles emotionally. I had had four miscarriages. I didn't know what to do next. Somebody had recommended this practice to me, so I went to check it out. I went by myself. Vince wasn't fully on board yet, but I met Dr. Klein, and we had a great meeting, and I left that meeting feeling pretty optimistic about next steps. So in today's episode, over five years later, I go to Dr. Klein's new practice, which we'll talk about, and I got to interview him. And I got to ask him all the questions that I've been wanting to kind of ask him for the past four years since we had Sonny. He was great. It was so good to see him. As you know, our story did have a happy ending. So it was just cool to kind of unpack what we had both been through together as doctor and patient. And it was a lot of fun to see him. And we learn about his new practice. We talk about my specific case and how batshit crazy I was at certain points. And it was so good to talk to him and kind of do my story again with a doctor's perspective peppered in. So it might be fun if you haven't listened to my episode yet to go back to episode one where I tell my story, listen to that, and then listen to this episode and get the other kind of side of it or the behind the scenes almost part of it. And yeah, so this is part two of my infertility story with Dr. Joshua Klein. And I want to thank him again for doing this. It was it was so interesting. And I kind of feel like I have full closure now on that chapter of my life. So without further ado, this is Allie and Joshua's infertility story. Hi, Dr. Klein. Hi. So good to see you after all these years. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. We'll get into our whole story together, but before we start, why don't you tell the listeners who you are, what you're doing, and we're at your facility now, so tell me what goes on here. Yeah, it's great to see you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, So my name is Josh Klein. I am a reproductive endocrinologist, so I'm a fertility doctor, and my sort of little story is that I worked at one of the large academically affiliated uh, fertility clinics in the New York City area, which is where I met Allie, mm-hmm. and uh, and had the good fortune of participating in that great experience. And I worked there for several years, and I think there's a lot about the fertility journey, uh, as Allie, I think, covers in different ways uh, on this podcast. Well, I should say as you. Yes, <laughs> Since you're sitting I'm next here. To me. Um, <laughs> But uh, there's a lot that's sort of miserable, and uh, my thought in sort of leaving a big established place and and starting a new practice uh, was to try to address some of the misery. Some of it's easier to address than others, and uh, we, you know, work hard to try to be better every day. But basically, I left this uh, big IVF practice to start a place called Extend Fertility. Extend was founded uh, with egg freezing and fertility preservation in the middle of its universe. And so we focus a lot on that. 
We have also, uh, in the last year or so, started doing more and more regular IVF and infertility treatment. Um, we also have women who have frozen their eggs with us that are coming back to talk to us about using them. We've had mm -hmm. a few people who have thawed their eggs and gotten pregnant from their frozen eggs. And so uh, I spend a lot of my time thinking about egg freezing, but also thinking about how we can make the fertility journey less miserable. Yes. <laughs> and we and can pick that apart. <laughs> absolutely. And we'll talk about how you did that for me because you were so great to work with. And I've said that before. And I said that in my story. I emailed you a lot. And I'm going to read some of the emails if you don't mind later. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, they're good. They're good. <laughs> but I do want to say, just sitting in this waiting room, a couple of things. First of all, it's so busy. Yeah. So a lot of women are doing this, yeah. right? So yeah. Tom, do you have like statistics or how many, what so, have you guys? Yeah, we, we, we uh, got pretty big pretty fast. We're still not one of the, the heaviest hitters uh, in the fertility world. You know, when you think about fertility clinics, there's sort of three buckets, I'd say. There's the small... Uh, more typically mom and pop type shops okay. that are doing, let's say, between one and 400 IVF cycles uh, a year. Then there, that's the sort of the one bucket. Then there's the the big league people, big league players, the ac usually academically affiliated players that are doing somewhere between 2,000 and 5,000 cycles a year. And then there's the middle ground people, and we f fall into that uh, bucket, you know, doing about a thousand cycles a year. So last year uh, we did a little over a thousand cycles, mostly of egg freezing, okay. um, and then a small amount of IVF. Um, but it is growing, egg freezing is growing, yeah. IVF is growing. I mean, it's all, for better or worse, people people are working on their fertility. Right, are you seeing younger thing. women coming in as well to freeze? Totally, yeah, okay. I mean, I think, again, uh, with egg freezing, it's a newer thing, and it's kind of a, uh, this is actually one of the founding principles of, of Extend, is that someone who wants to think about freezing her eggs is not the same sort of person as someone who is struggling with infertility. And so to, to give them what they need is a different product, so to speak, uh, than what an infertility patient needs. Um, and so before, I think five years ago, let's say, egg freezing wasn't something people really had ever heard of much. Mm -hmm. um, and it was uh, generally very expensive. And it still is pretty expensive, but we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was more a thing that uh, some women were hearing about in panic mode, where they sort of either went to an OBGYN or somehow talked to a friend who was doing IVF and were sort of had this, you know, kind of holy bleep you moment. You can swear on here. <laughs> That's allowed. <laughs> I want um, you to. <laughs> you shouldn't draw it out of me. Um, but yeah, sort of a panic moment of, of I'm getting older and I'm worried that, that what, what what this is going to look like. And and uh, um, and it, it, it was typically a reactionary move of I got to do something to hold on to my fertility. And that was sort of the late 30s and 40s type picture. But mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot more women coming in and they're young in mid 30s uh, to say, I don't know if I'm going to need these eggs. I'm not quite sure. Like, I got to get my life together. And like, I don't quite know what that looks like. Right. But I know that this is important to me. And I know that, that uh, I might need these later. And so yeah. this is a smart thing for me to do. That's so interesting that you point out the panic mode versus now being more proactive. And I think that that's definitely what I've noticed, too, in talking to people is yep. that yep. it's, it's happening a lot more. Well, it seems like things are going well. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. expanding Busy, your facility. Exciting, yeah. And... Okay, so I want to talk about when I first met you. I had to look up some of the things on my calendar and just dates because I feel like, oh, the other thing I was going to say was sitting in the waiting room, I definitely had PTSD. Like I started feeling like yep. super, do, yep. is that common, do you think, for women that have uh, gone through this? Like, I don't know is, if I'll ever get over it. It's one of those sort of special places in the universe that yeah. have a special kind of pain yeah. associated with I would Like the second um, I walk, I mean, you're 
space is beautiful. Everyone was so nice, but I was just like, oh my god, I'm back here again. Yeah. And it I like brought this rush of feeling of, of like inadequacy and sort of fear. And I mean, we try to keep that to minimum in our sure. waiting room, but I think there's something very as again, yeah. you can say better. And than just me. looking at all these women, like I'm on the other side now, thank God. But looking at all these women that are here yeah. to either freeze their eggs or have a retrieval and just thinking, oh my gosh, they're going through it right now. It's you, happening you for them. You recognize that. Feel. I know. Yeah. I'm getting all like... Yeah. So anyway, I looked it up and I think my first appointment at your old place where we first met was in 2014 mm -hmm. in July. So I had just turned 40 and I remember... I came in as kind of like a broken woman. <laughs> I came in by myself. That I don't remember. Um, it took, yeah, <laughs> I don't expect you to remember, but inside I was dying. And it took me a while to get my husband to agree to even see somebody, to yeah. see a specialist. Yeah. You know, we'd been trying on our own. It wasn't happening. Um, I had had four miscarriages up at that point. And I remember somebody had recommended your facility and I made an appointment and came in by myself and didn't know what to expect and met you. And I remember you said, I gave you kind of the rundown and you drew like, I think maybe you did a sonogram. Yep. Is that normal yeah. for the yeah, first? Okay. Yeah, sure. And then you drew something on a piece of paper and you're like, everything actually looks pretty good. You've yep. got a lot of eggs. Yeah. You were an egg superstar. Uh, Do you remember? Back, back in the day. <laughs> egg superstar. Yeah. Okay. Uh. No. And you said you're kind of the perfect candidate for IVF. Yeah. And I didn't get like a salesy vibe from you at all. I yeah. mean, I trusted your word. So I remember leaving that appointment feeling very optimistic. Um, and then it took a while for me to get Vince, my husband, on board. Because sure. I think I looked at my calendar. So that was in July. My next appointment wasn't until like October. Okay. So I think I took him, it took the summer yeah. for me to yeah. convince him that yeah. we were going to do. And then I do remember also he came in and met, I don't know if it was with you or somebody in the finance department, sure. but he had a not so great meeting Okay. and it was because of the money. It yeah. was just, you know, I had left with some paperwork and said, I think it will cost X, Y, and Z. And then he came in and got maybe like a different version of that story. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. I think that's common for people is like the money is scary yep. and a lot of people are paying out of pocket. And finally, you know, he kind of, I convinced him, you know, let's just try it one round. So I finally convinced him to do one round. But yeah. it was still totally out of pocket. None of it was covered for yeah. us. So yeah. how do you guys deal with, like, the finance aspect of it and, like, assuaging people's fears and yeah. concerns? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's probably a bunch of layers. But probably one of the most important layers is, is you've already sort of alluded to, it, which is the transparency element. People hate the, I think it's this, and then all of a sudden yes. there's, like, this add-on and that add-on and that extra. And... And so I think we actually really strive to make transparency one of the core values of the practice here, but mm -hmm. also of the way the business aspect of it is run. So like if you go to the Extend Fertility website, we literally like have a a cost sheet of how much things cost, right. which is normal for like most things in life that you pay for, mm -hmm. but not normal if you go, you know, click around to most uh, IVF uh, centers, websites, you don't get like a yeah. fee schedule. I remember him saying that it, he felt like it was like a car dealership where yeah. it was like, but if you want the, you know, right, testing, right, it's right. going to be 5,000 so, more. So, so yeah, so the, the, the transparency is one and, and, the, and, and that is deeply connected to the add-on mm -hmm. aspect of, you know, I mean, almost that bait and switch feel of like the core cost is this, but if you really want to do well, you're going to have to pay this extra and that extra. Right. 
Um, so, so a lot of it is just like, again, treating people like humans, like you'd want to be treated in the sense of like talking straight and, and just, yeah. even if it's painful, but like, this is what it costs and just lay it out there. And then the other aspect is, is really, I think an attitude towards, and this is a larger point, but an attitude towards how we look at the, uh, really, you know, there's a, fertility is a big business. There's a lot of money being spent in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think historically, and this is one of the reasons, again, I think that, uh, motivated me to try a new model, uh, even though I was in a good place and in a good position, mm-hmm. which is that historically fertility has been seen as a luxury thing for people who can afford it. Mm-hmm. And for people who can't, it's a luxury and not everyone gets to, you know, sort of drive a Mercedes or, or, or stay in a five-star hotel. And so mm-hmm. there has not been a, a big emphasis on thinking about uh, keeping costs lower than they need to be. And so at the end of the day, uh, there's a pretty high margin in IVF in most places. And so uh, if you philosophically take a stance that you're okay taking a smaller margin, presenting it as a less luxury uh, price point, there's room to play around with that. Mm-hmm. And so for example, when the egg freezing is the best uh, best example for us, because that's what we, most of what we do, which mm-hmm. is that, and also egg freezing, by the way, is something that is even more, as you would imagine, price sensitive, right? Because someone like yourself was, you were super motivated to do IVF if you could make it happen. Right. An egg freezer has lots of ambivalence about freezing their eggs. They okay. kind of want to do it, but they're like, not sure, do I need it? And what's yeah. it? like psychologically, it's a, it's a heavy thing. Anyway, long story short is that, you know, we we opened this place at the very beginning of 2017 doing procedures. The nation national leaders in egg freezing volume at that time were doing about four or five hundred cycles of egg freezing per year. Okay. Last year we did over a thousand, so we were like far ahead of mm. the national leaders in volume, mm-hmm. and we're like a new place, a private practice not affiliated specifically with an academic medical center. And so I think you know not to toot our own horn, although I guess I am, but my point is just that. <laughs> Probably the number one reason why what, what has fueled our growth is that we're charging a lot less than what most people charge for egg freezing. Okay. We still have room to have a viable business in there. Uh-huh. But it's sort of a philosophical choice that like we don't want to just charge what we can charge. Right. Um, we want to charge what uh, we think is sort of fair to have a viable business, but um, but not necessarily more than that. And right. So it's an I attitude thing. One of the things that I really like about you just as a person is that you are human being and like you said you know you try to make this a more humanistic experience so what do you i'm sure you've seen everybody come in in all states of you know panic mode and preemptive mode and broken inside and lots of tears probably so how do you deal with patients who are kind of not sure if someone comes in and wants to know about egg freezing they're not sure do you kind of read the room and see what they're feeling or do you like try to convince them to do it or what's your take on that so i think uh, reading the room is a great way of saying it but i think i would what i would even more crystallize that is that i think we trust we try to see our patients as intelligent adults Mm -hmm. who are potential patients who we trust to absorb the information and then process it in a way that we are, our role is a, as a teach our meaning the doctor and my colleagues here, mm-hmm. we're sort of in an educational role to lay out what we know about female, female fertility and what we don't, mm-hmm. uh, what we know about what test results mean, AMH testing, follicle counts, what uh, can we glean from that information and sort of to individualize the conversation and how that's limited, the imperfections of the test, and, and uh, to what degree things are really accurate and predictive and whatnot. And I think we talk 
a lot about statistics. You know, if you if you do egg freezing and you're free and you're 36 and you freeze seven eggs, like what's that look like versus right. freeze 17 eggs? And and so I think it's actually quite uh, it's almost an academic exercise mm-hmm. to sort of try to uh, as close as we can to concretize. If you do this, this is what you should realistically expect. Right. Um, there's uncertainties around that, and you've got to be sort of on board with the reality, as, as, as you could speak to as well as anyone, Ali, that, that fertility, biology in general, fertility is, is a wild ride, and there's a totally. lot of, uh, of, of, of things that can kind of go better or worse than you expect. But basically package it up in a way that's understandable to people, and then trust them to choose. Not everyone has to freeze their eggs, um, but a lot of people with a smart thing for them to do and yeah. uh, be there, kind of hold their hand and be their expert guide, Right. but but trust them to, to be uh, intelligent to process the information and make a good decision for right. them. So give them what they need to sort of be armed to to, to make decisions. I think yeah. that's my yeah. attitude. I think a lot of people that are going through this do want numbers and statistics. You know, there's so much that's out of their control. So I do remember, and like I said, I'll, I'll pull up an email as we get into my story a little bit further, but you would say like, this is the percentage of this, and but then at the end you'd always say, but you never know because yeah. this is not a you know it's infertility. It's a it's you know it is a wild ride. It's a kind of a crapshoot at the end of the day. So that always was comforting. But I was like, I like that you were keeping it real because it's true. You don't know. I mean, there's so many factors that we still don't know like play a part in it. For better or worse, I think I'm still playing the same you know yeah. playing the same game. That that sounds exactly like me. I mean, yeah. that, that is what I say. Is statistic you can't do. You can't make smart, thoughtful choices without some sense of statistics. Right. But at the same time, you fool yourself. If you chase the statistics down, you know, no one's ever 60% pregnant, right? Like, it, right. it's just statistics only work in the abstract to think yeah. about how to strategize smartly and how to allocate your resources, your time, your right. money, and your, your, your effort and your tolerance for mm-hmm. the misery. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, but at the end of the day, we always cap that with, you know, uh, I like saying luck eats, eats the statistics for lunch, you know, every day of the week, and it's true. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. So. so back to our story. So we, I think I started going through all the drugs and everything in March of 2015. Mm-hmm. And I do want to pull up, I have a couple of screenshots of emails that I found, because I did email you a lot, and you responded a lot, and I was like, all right, I like this guy, and I did want to ask you, because I've said this over the years, I felt like I was getting such good one-on-one treatment, but then in retrospect, I think it was like, oh, he does a probably to all of his patients because that's your job Maybe I like but you, you more than average but you but. <laughs> made me feel really special and I was like I think we have like a really good rapport like yeah. he like answers my emails quickly and I don't know whatever you did and I think also I had this thing where it was just like I needed someone to swoop in and be the savior and yeah. I had you kind of on a pedestal that yeah. in that way yeah. Is, is that common or am I totally no, weird for I saying think, that? No, you're not weird at all. And I think, <laughs> I mean, for better or worse, because it's not an easy place for, you know, me or any other doctor to stand. But yeah, yeah, I think people kind of, you want to feel like your doctor is like, you know, right. the shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, go, <laughs> you swore, um, yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, no, I mean, I, I remember thinking like, this guy is so great. And like, but it was also like, he's going to be the one to to change everything yeah. you know I was so yeah. desperate at that point yeah. and um it was almost like a god syndrome for lack of a better term <laughs> like it was just like there was a lot of pressure on you behind the scenes yes. yeah. um so one of the emails that I sent you in March of 2015 was 
Hi, Dr. Klein. Would it be okay to go into a hot tub spa situation this weekend? If there's any sort of risk involved, I won't do it. But my husband bought me a gift certificate, and this would be the only time I might use it. Which is Welcome so to the inbox of a fertility doctor, by the way. But you wrote back and you said, totally okay, won't hurt anything. Enjoy, Jay. <laughs> Which is, like, funny. So anyway, I started, I was going through the process, and as you might recall, I only had, it was like my one shot. Yep. Do you remember any of the, like, specifics about, or I guess in general, somebody that was in my situation? So I was 40 years old. I had, like, a pretty good egg reserve. Do you remember, like, medically kind of what was going on in your mind as, a, as I was your patient? Yeah, well, you, you, you mentioned that I use something like a phrase that you're the perfect candidate. Yeah. What I quite sure that I was talking about was the fact that, you know, I the model that I usually lay out for, for patients in terms of how to think about age and, and uh, how age impacts fertility and why it's sort of the number one factor in the conversation is that age essentially has two dimensions uh, with regard to fertility, specifically through the eggs. It affects egg quality and mm -hmm. affects egg quantity. Mm -hmm. And so most women, as they get older, both of those things are happening to them. They have a lower percentage of healthy eggs and their sort of pile of eggs is shrinking. Mm -hmm. And so the, the double whammy of age is that you don't, as you get older, you don't have a lot left and what you do have is mostly not going to work. Mm -hmm. um, but for you, you were one of those outliers where you were 40, so you were old enough that that we know we just have to accept the reality that most of your eggs are not healthy. Mm -hmm. That's true for any 40-year-old. But you were uh, lucky in the sense that your egg supply was was way above average. Mm. And so, point being, you did your IVF and you got 29 Nine. eggs. Um, that's super duper awesome, like right. way above average. An average number for a 40-year-old is more like 10, okay. something like that. Um, and so, it, this crapshoot situation, right, if, if you are looking for the one in you know, 10 or maybe one in eight eggs that are going to be healthy, mm -hmm. um, if you get like 10 shots at it, it's a quite dicey. If you get 30 shots at it, mm -hmm. it's still not uh, at all of a slam dunk, but your, right. your odds are just much better. Yeah. And so, uh, and you pay the same rate and you take the same drugs and some people, right. it's nothing they did wrong, but they're going to get 10 or some people will get you know, five or three, and they're really, their back is against the wall. But yeah. for you, there was a lot more reason to be optimistic because right. we, we can expect we were going to get a good number. And we could see that even before your retrieval, we knew that your egg supply was good. And so that typically makes us predict you'll get a good number of eggs. Okay. What about the whole notion of like quality versus quantity? Like some people are so psyched, you know, I got 30 whatever yeah. eggs, yeah. and then some people get five, but they're really good ones. Do you have a, a take on that? So I do. I guess what I would say is that every human comes from just one, right? We, you and I and, and every, right. everyone out there. And so at the end of the day, qu quantity um, is subservient to quality. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, in the in the casino that is the IVF world. Um, <laughs> the you, casino. I love it. It's, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got married in Las Vegas. So there you go. It all in, comes in, full in, circle. In theme. Well, you can lose your shirt or you can go home big. I don't know. The, the analogy works, right? So uh, in the casino that is the fertility mm -hmm. world, uh, it's just a lot more comfortable. And if you're, again, sort of strategizing to think about odds and chances and, and resource allocation, if if we can tell you you're someone who's going to have a lot of eggs and, and that you're that you're going to have a lot of, uh, of 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 chances to find a good egg, that's a lot better place to be than someone who we can expect right. is going to have much fewer. 
having said that, a 30-year-old who doesn't have a lot of eggs mm -hmm. is still going to be a pretty good prognosis person for IVF because even with, let's say, five eggs, if she has a very low egg supply, uh, but there should be at least two or three or four good ones in that group of five. Right. Or a 45-year-old, even if she can make 25 eggs, which would be an incredibly high number, it's still not a great prognosis that she's even even sure. have one good one in that, yeah. in that batch. Yeah. Do you have a limit to how many cycles somebody will do when you're doing IVF? Is there like a There's, personal thing for you? Because I've talked to people who've done eight, 10, yeah. 12 rounds. I mean, is there... So, no, I don't have a rule. I try not to have too many rules because uh, rules, you know, I think uh, back us into corners that generally don't feel uh, like the comfortable or even the right place to be. Right. I mean, I think that, that I usually fall back on, on studies and statistics. And so typically the for someone who's doing IVF, the first three attempts, mm -hmm. the independent odds of success are going to be about even for try number one, try number two, try number three. Right. The odds of success for trying number four, five, six are decreased, but not like erased. After six tries, the chance of success really gets very low, no mm. matter what the story is. Okay. And so that has to be a case by case. I mean, I met a patient yesterday, for example, who has done seven IVF cycles, eight IVF cycles, actually, the second of which she has a baby from. So okay. Seven failures, one successful. Yeah. And she uh, did them all in one place, but is sort of running out of the drive to keep trying right and so it was a hard conversation to give her the right advice but uh, I I'm on board I mean, there's obviously some details there but I'm on board with the idea of her trying in a different lab than she's tried before with a different sort of approach um, and I think that that's a, that I still believe that she has a realistic chance of success even though she's had seven failures before mm -hmm. so you know it's always case by case mm -hmm. try to stay away from rules um, yeah but also we don't want I think it's also my job, the doctor's job, to say, I think we have to go in a different direction when right. you get to that point. It's, it's the hardest conversation for sure. Yeah, but, uh, break but, some hearts but probably that, sometimes. Know, totally. Have you um, told people, you know, we're going to stop? Absolutely. You have? Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, like we said, I got 29 eggs at my retrieval, and then we did do, is it the PGD testing? Is that what it's called? Uh, okay. Formerly, they've changed the... Uh, the nomenclature, it's now called PGTA. Okay. Uh, PGT what is, that is pre implantation genetic testing. Okay. And there's um, basically two main versions of PGT. There's PGTA, which is for A, is for aneuploidy, okay. which is the generic version of testing embryos to see if they have the right number of chromosomes, which is what you did. Right. Then there's PGTM. Okay. PGTM is a special category of people who know they carry a genetic disease that they don't want to hand down to a child. And so the M is for monogenic or mono, like one, genic, like a gene, monogenic diseases. So someone who, let's say, uh, has the gene for a cystic fibrosis, mm -hmm. um, or I should say two people who do, mm -hmm. uh, they can do PGTM. GTM to filter out which embryos inherited the bad genes and which ones did not. Okay. So you're PGTA, you, but we used to call that right. PGD or PGS. Okay. So we ended up testing five embryos for me. I have, I actually have the paper. I no kidding. Show, I, if you don't mind, I want you to talk me through this because this is the, this was the results oh, and wow. I just found this recently. So it's like a, an artifact. Can you read it? It's, <laughs> it's got like my a name very on it. small got my font. name on it. It's got your name on it. That's you. Um, that's us. Yeah. So it's five uh, embryos, right? Yeah, there are right? five embryos Can here. Can you talk me through Absolutely. just kind of each one? 
Yeah, so so your little guy, Sonny. Right, right. but is, actually, spoiler alert to the listeners: we didn't. I didn't find out the gender, and I want to. Ta- I'm going to talk about that at the end because you had a oh, very wow. cute way of telling me. I don't remember. So okay, I'll show it to you. Okay. You had a very cute email you sent me to tell me because I didn't want to know the gender even after we did the transfer until we knew that it was wow. going to be yeah. viable. Yeah. So all right, now I'm curious. Yeah. So um, essentially, these reports typically come out. Um, with a number which corresponds to the number of chromosomes mm-hmm. there's only one right number which is 46 and so mm-hmm. any other number is going to be an abnormal or an unhealthy embryo that does not have a chance of resulting in a healthy baby okay um and so you have four out of five that were abnormal right you have a uh, one that was 45 chromosomes it was missing chromosome number two 16 and 19. so the way it works is that essentially Every human cell has 46 chromosomes. Mm-hmm. There are really 23 pairs. There's a maternal sort of side and a paternal, meaning from your father and from your mother. Right. And so chromosomes are numbered 1 through 22. And then there's an X or a Y. Uh, if you're a female, it's two Xs. If you're a male, it's an X and a Y. Uh-huh. And so uh, embryo number one here um, has 45 total chromosomes, meaning missing one. It actually mm-hmm. is missing two, but it has a, it was missing number two and number 16, and it also had a, a third copy of 19. So the net is that it's missing one, but that has three mm. sort of errors. Uh, the second embryo has uh, 47 chromosomes with a plus 16. Uh, that's a trisomy 16, mm-hmm. an additional chromosome 16. Embryo number three is another one with 45 chromosomes. It had missing number two and number 19, but had an additional number 22. So the net is that it's missing one, but uh, again, right. an abnormal one. And so, then, I'm sorry, go oh, ahead. The fourth one had 47 chromosomes with a trisomy 19. Um, and actually, all of those embryos were all XX. They were all female embryos. All females. Uh, yeah. So what, those all would have likely been miscarriages. Those almost for sure would yeah. have been miscarriages. Yes. Okay. Is there a... Or, or, um, or non-implantation, mean failed or they wouldn't have negative tra- pregnancy tests. Okay. Yeah. So does it, is it likely, because I had never had a couple of my miscarriages, I think were chemical pregnancies pretty early on. I never had a DNC. I never, you know, mine were all within like under the eight week range. Yeah. I never had like a, what is it called when you get the test to see what not an autopsy but like to figure out what went check uh, yeah the analyze the to analyze yeah Yeah. i never had that done so we never knew but is it likely that that was what was had been happening because it was just abnormal uh, in general without seeing this right just by virtue of age that's the most likely explanation and then this sort of uh, brings it out into the open okay so then let's talk about number third embryo number 13 the final the fifth one so that's 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 your guy so he is 46 which which is the right number and he was an xy uh, and so oh my nice god! Male. And so that's you know, so yeah, you wild. Couldn't, couldn't script this with more drama, uh, right? Uh, I mean, it was four girls and a little Sunny. Yeah, yeah. So I remember getting these results, and then I'm going to read another quick email from <laughs> you, and I because I was like, "What does this mean?" Yeah. And you wrote and said, "Hi, Allie. So I was obviously slightly disappointed. We only got one normal one." But to give things some context, I won't read this whole email because it's long. But basically, mm-hmm. you're giving me the statistics. Yeah. The expectation for normal percentage at your age would have been 40%, which would have been 2 out of 5 rather than 1 out of 5. So I would say it's disappointing, but not shocking. And then you said, that said, this one has a 60 to 65% chance of sticking and leading to an ongoing pregnancy. So I feel pretty good about that. Not a slam dunk, but we're on the good side of a 50-50 bet. Yep. 
back to the Vegas theme. There you go. Yeah, again. <laughs> so that again, it was like the whole thing, and I think people listening will relate to this. Is there's it's such a roller coaster, right? Totally. You get good news and then yep. bad news and then good news, and so it was like kind of bad news that I only had the one. But then when you said sixty to sixty-five, I was like, oh shit, yeah. that actually is kind of good on news. The right side, yeah. That's so it just goes back to the whole thing. So then one other thing that I thought was great was that you had said that you wanted to be the one to do my transfer. Yeah. And I, I was again like I was like okay, <laughs> I feel very special that yes. So what was your thinking about that? Uh, like it's just that I, whenever I can, I mean you are very special. I mean, <laughs> um, but I would say that is usually almost always my yeah. uh, very strong preference for transfers. Okay. You know, retrievals as you know happened any day, happen any day of the week. It's right. nearly impossible for any human to be doing all their patients' retrievals. Right. Um, but transfers, uh, you can sort of schedule if you're doing a medicated transfer. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the transfer is, there's a little bit of nuance to the kind of the gentleness and your methodology. And But the truth is, I think I'm, you know, pretty good at it, so I trust myself. Yeah. But so is a lot. So are a lot of other people. It's right. not that you couldn't have had someone else who, who, who was probably just as good. Um, but I think psychologically you know i really do uh this is just my style and probably too much but i get you use the word in one of your early in the in the first podcast uh and i i i heard myself when you're using i get very invested in in my Mm. patients because i'm i just feel like we're right there together we're holding hands and we're we're arm in arm and and like we're fighting this fight and so i want to be the one i want to be the one that you know if it's good i want to be be the one that's part of that and right. if it's not good i i, I want to own that i want it on my shoulders and yeah. so you know i don't obviously not everyone sticks and, and right. so that's that's just the reality of of the way the the game is played but i think it feels better to me in both directions when it's good it feels better and when it's bad it feels better when okay. i know that like this is i gave i give it my all uh, and and right. i can't think of what if and and maybe you know this person or that person yeah like, i really try to kind of own that how do you keep it separate for yourself if you do have like a failed you know transfer or something doesn't yeah. take somebody that you're invested in like do you go home feeling really badly about it or are you able to kind of separate yeah no i think it's this is a larger theme for doctors in general right like you want to be bond with your patients in a human way but also right. you can't you can't uh, sort of collapse at all the sort of disappointments and in every yeah. field of medicine there are disappointments um, no I think I think I actually allow myself to to get pulled up and pulled down with my patients probably more than I should yeah uh, my wife can probably speak to that uh, better than I could but but uh, but yeah I think there's especially as as you gain years of experience and you sort of feel like you've been around the block a bunch of times um, you know that uh, that your all is as good as like anyone else out there and that there's I think what you don't want is to feel like it should have been done better right um, but I think that I, I I feel you know comfortable in my own skin mm-hmm. that like I don't think if I you know do a, a procedure in IVF uh, if it doesn't work I think that I don't almost ever have a thought that someone else who did it differently could have could have, could have done it a better okay better that's outcome. good yeah uh, maybe i'm wrong but that's yeah. at least what i think uh, what i think and I, I think that's probably right yeah what do you think about all the not maybe like urban myths or things that people do after transfers like eating the like mcdonald's french fries or yeah. drinking gatorade like yeah. do you subscribe to all any of, of that stuff? yeah lots <laughs> all of french fries gatorade <laughs> pineapple pineapple yeah, exactly that's the, your logo right I, yeah it is it um, is yes yeah no. i ate that core <laughs> the shit out of that core <laughs> So my my 
true to sort of my my style, I'm I'm not a big uh, sort of doing other lifestyle stuff guy, mainly just because I try to stick to the studies, and the studies for most of these things are not very compelling that there's good data to support it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I'm also very, I kind of try to be comfortable in knowing what we know, but also recognizing we don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And so for, for, I have lots of patients who do acupuncture, lots of patients who are taking DHEA or coenzyme yep. Q10 or different supplements, lots of patients who are eating pineapple cores. And um, I certainly am not uh, mm -hmm. one of those sort of uh, on a mission to like weed out any non-scientific interventions. Mm -hmm. I think that um, there's enough uncertainty in a lot of these things that uh, I can be comfortable if someone is 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 comfortable doing it, uh, I'm totally with their with them supporting that. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that I'm you know sort of of the mindset that I I, I don't uh, go out of my way to recommend people doing uh, a lot of the sort of other holistic stuff. Yeah. And part of it, truth be told, is that there's also a resource allocation question, right? Like mm -hmm. people only have a certain amount of hours in the day and dollars in their pocket, and so. Right. Uh, at some point, I'd rather them be uh, spending the resources on things that I can feel confident are, are, right. are productive. And I worry a little bit that they're, you know, using that, draining that account on things that might not be too productive. Right, right. Okay. So, as we know from my story, I did get pregnant. Yes. That was wild. Yes. I was so, I had gone to Florida on vacation. I remember I came back, got the blood work. And the nurse said, go home and take a nap. And I was like, like I could sleep right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but then I remember they called back and she was like, congratulations. Call us when you deliver. And I was like, I like dropped the phone. Yeah. I was like, I was so shocked and yeah. surprised. Yeah. Can I tell so you a secret? <laughs> what? Not about you. Oh, God. Uh, no, I generally try to call every negative and I usually don't call the positives. Why? The posi because the positives, I feel like I... I uh, uh, celebrate the positives with, I, there's something, maybe it's, I don't know, a thing about me personally. I, I almost feel uh, I'd rather give people space to celebrate the positives. I like the nurses participating in that. Yeah. Um, I, I let the positive. You don't uh, want to be like be, braggadocious yeah, about it think, and be like, I, I, I did it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I celebrate the positives in my own way and my own, but right. I, I feel better giving the patient space, giving the nurses an opportunity to participate in that. The uh, negatives, they just suck. And like, yeah. I, I try never to let a negative get called by right. anyone by myself. That oh, that's good. Me. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I shouldn't tell that people because now they know when the call comes. Or, well, or, I yeah. think people know that anyway <laughs> yeah, when the doctor calls. Right. It's probably it's, not it's, it's awesome. Not great, yeah. So a couple months or maybe like four weeks into my pregnancy, I had gone out to L.A. I was interviewing some actress for a magazine. Yeah. I won't name her name. But we went on a hike, and I don't know if you remember this, but it was another email. We went on this crazy hike where I was interviewing her while we were hiking, and it was super hot. We didn't, she like didn't want to stop for water, and I was like, oh my, I was getting so nervous, because yeah. I was like, we're going to kill this baby. <laughs> I mean, that was my thought, and it's I remember, because your hormones too are yeah. like yeah. crazy. So I remember I came down from the hike, drove her home, went to like a Ralph's parking lot, like the grocery store, and just had like a panic attack in mm. the parking lot. Went in, got like a huge bottle of water, and then I emailed you, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And I said, hike, question was the subject. I said, hi. So I just did this work hike, and it was way harder than I thought it would be. I was literally panting. The hike was at 1.5 hours up and down hills, and now I'm freaking out. Hoping for some reassurance or advice, thanks. And you wrote right back. It was like five minutes later. 
and you said, I'm about a hundred times less worried than you are. Just make sure you drink and take it easy the rest of the evening, but I'm really not too concerned. Wow. And that was so nice. (laughs) I was like, okay. So that was another moment yeah. where yeah. I just want to thank you for like being so amazing it's about cool it. Cool to hear the backstory here. I know I had to look. I looked it all up because I remember <laughs> I was like, I'm sure I was so annoying to you that I emailed so much. But like, as you know, you're so desperate, and yeah. Yeah. any bits of information, you know, were helping. It is um, gratifying. You know, I, I, I didn't. I do not remember that email. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't. I'm think shocked about it. you don't have it framed on your yeah, wall. That's Jeez. right. Uh, but. You know, realistically, uh, I probably didn't think about it for like the minute after I sent it. But to you, that was like. But I love that you said I'm a hundred times yeah. less concerned. Like that I was think, such a great thing I think to hear. It's important for us to, when we can be the sort of arm around your shoulder, and like, yeah. and, and when 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 we, you know, I don't think we should reassure you about things we shouldn't reassure you. But the, but there are opportunities I think that we don't always take to say we know what we're talking about. Right. We know you're worried, and we can sort of. Like right. take it on the chin for you. I'm not worried. You don't worry. Right. I'll tell you when to worry, and this is not it. And yeah, and, uh, people, I think it's so scary uh, though. Respond to you it. You know, it, after going through a million places to be scared. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't think that I ever was able to fully relax throughout the whole pregnancy. I'm not surprised. Which I think is probably pretty common. Yeah. So I want to show you one last thing, which I said earlier, but. So I told you that we didn't want to find out the gender until right. we had, I think, our 12-week scan or something. Yep. And you, I was like, I know that you know it, so can you send me an email, but can you send it as an attachment? Because I don't want to accidentally open it. I want to, like, open it with my husband. Okay. So I'm going to show you what you sent to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll put, I'll put this on my social media, too, but it was... It says, keep calm, it's a boy. That's that was like, I didn't realize I'm so cute. I know, and I was like, wow. <laughs> you, you obviously were special. I wasn't making memes for, you uh, for everybody. No, I knew that's, it. That's, that's, I knew that's it. not my standard. I didn't just yes. pull it out of my you know. Well, uh, I'm desktop. so glad you weren't just like, <clears throat> boy, period. You know, like right. it was like you made a graph or you found a graphic. Yeah. And I wrote back yeah. and I was like, I did say like, oh my God, you're so creative. And you were like, well, I can't take credit for the sign. Google Images gets oh, that's the right. credit. You see, I didn't make it, but at least I found it. <laughs> but at least you found it. <laughs> and you're like, you're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. Please keep in touch. Yeah. So, and then I got to send you the email when Sonny was born in December. And that was great. So, yeah, totally. happy ending. Much thanks to you. I did so, my job. Yes. And uh, that's going back to the other part is that, you, you know, I think patients want to have a great doctor yeah. we want to do a great job yeah. and then we both have to be able to sleep at night meaning we the doctor and mm-hmm. the patient knowing that we both gave it our all and like yeah. that's what it's all about and, and, and after that you know there's a lot of it that's out of our hands but but we can make smart choices we can uh, again use data to sort of right. uh, and, and the latest technology to try to we do everything to stack the odds in your favor and then we like let go and, yeah. and, and we both have to do that totally you know? I mean I think the there's some magic game. involved as well I do I think there's, there's something I don't want to give you all the credit beyond <laughs> us I, I'm taking there's only magic a teeny weeny bit yeah of, you know, absolutely I, I, just, I just didn't screw it up I guess right so. yeah but thank so, you uh, I just want to thank you thank in person you for, for giving us our son I mean uh, he is a maniac what <laughs> oh and my husband wanted me to ask you he said because I think when you graded the embryo it was like 6AA or whatever it was like I think yeah it was like near perfect and then he's like well then ask him why at almost four years old he's still not sleeping through the night (laughs) (laughs) it's uh you gotta have the long view on that I mean speaking as a father like yeah yeah, these kids will they'll 
uh, they're gonna <laughs> give you a run for your money, uh, no yeah. doubt. That's a, it's a good sign. It is. I tell myself that. Is it? Okay, I'll <laughs> yes. take your word for it. All uh, right. It's a, it's a privilege to be involved. Well, thank in you your so much for talking to and, me and, and all of it. This is a really cool job. I'm very blessed. To, yes. To do this for you're a living. You're so good at it. Um, well, I can vouch. You. Thank you. I appreciate yes. it. Thank you. Well, you're good at this. And Thank other you. Things, I thought I was going to cry, but I didn't. Hey again, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Joshua. I, whew, I thought that was going to be so much tougher for me than it was. I was so nervous and also really excited. And I was just a little nervous that... I was going to get all these PTSD feelings back because those never truly go away, as a lot of you guys know. I did say that a little bit, that in the waiting room I started to feel a little uneasy, but I thought I was going to be like sobbing through the whole conversation. So I'm glad that I didn't do that because that would have been hard to hear and understand. But anyway, thanks again to Josh. And if you guys want to check out Extend Fertility, it's a really great practice. So you can check them out online. And I just want to thank you guys for listening. And I hope if anybody right now is sitting in a waiting room, they're not feeling that anxiety. But I know you probably are. So just know that I've been there. You're not alone. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. So if you need to reach out to me, I'm always available at infertileafstories at gmail.com. Or you can DM me. Go follow me on Instagram at infertileafstories. And I will see you guys next time. Thanks. Thank you.